Okay, so this is the this is a joke that probably shouldn't be told by a new father, but I'll go ahead anyway. A child murdering a little boy walk into the woods. The little boy says, I'm scared. The child murderer says, You're scared. I have to walk home alone. <laughs> that, that is dark. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, this is the Calgarian. I'm Taylor Lambert. Uh, my guest for this episode is a fellow journalist and a friend of mine, uh, Jason Markasoff. He's a longtime Alberta journalist. He worked for years at the Edmonton Journal. Uh, he was a city hall reporter for the Calgary Herald. Uh, and now he is a correspondent at McLean's Magazine, where he tells Alberta stories and Western stories uh, to a national audience. Uh, we had a really good conversation about his personal journey and evolution as a journalist, as well as the evolution of journalism itself over his career. Uh, and we also uh, got unexpectedly interrupted by a security guard who uh, walked into the studio. So, you know, there's a little excitement in this one. Uh, before we get to that, though, just a quick reminder that if you enjoy this show, I do need your help to spread the word on social media, to tell your friends to listen, and if you want to, kick in a buck or two a month on Patreon. Uh, even a straightforward interview show like this takes many hours of work to make and edit and produce. And uh, I'm a full-time freelance journalist, so time and money are not things that I have in spades. And in fact, you may notice that this episode is about 10 minutes longer than the first two episodes were. And that's because I simply didn't have enough free time this week to spend editing it down to the length that I wanted. So I would like to keep the show going and bring you more interesting people and their stories uh, but that only happens with your support. Um, if you haven't heard the first two episodes yet, I encourage you to check them out. They're great. Uh, and it'll give you a sense of what I'm trying to do with this project. And then you can decide if it's worth supporting. Uh, visit thecalgarian.ca uh, and you'll find links to social media as well as the Patreon account. And now here is my conversation with Jason Marcuson. <laughs> That's the divination of it. Okay, thank you for that cheery, cheery mood this morning. To start like to set the, the tone, yeah, like to set the tone. It was good. Um, okay, so I think uh, to start things off, uh, because we are both, you know, serious journalists, uh, and uh, disclosure is very important. I think we should probably start by disclosing that uh, you and I have, in fact, slow danced. Yes to uh at last at my wedding when i couldn't find my wife and he oh, was the uh he was the most convenient shoulder to uh to lean on that is not uh, that is not what i was told at the time i break hearts and dreams i'm sorry <laughs> that's how i do it uh there may have been alcohol involved but uh, that did happen uh i bring that up not only because it's funny um but also because i want to use your wedding as a segue into my first question are you ready with that uh, cliffhanger, absolutely. <laughs> um, so your wedding was lovely. Um, Thank you. But uh, there were not but there were uh, uh, many um, speeches by um, your family and and your wife's family. Uh, and I was struck at the time by how many of the uh, speeches, um, which were you know variously funny and touching uh, and heartfelt, um, but a lot of them made reference to you being on Twitter. They did, didn't they? they I really remember did. I remembered feeling that at the uh during the during the speech ceremony and I'm like, wow, I actually love the the subtle criticisms of one that come out. And uh I I I'd like to think that since then I've uh, cut back on my Twitter use, but I probably haven't. I just tweet less, I think. See, it's interesting to me that you took it as a criticism. I didn't I mean, there was like there was some there were some pokes and jabs in there for sure, playfully one playful ones. But I it seemed to me more just like that was just such a part of your identity, even like that it bleeds out into your family life in a way. Like it's just part of who you are and what you're known for. Yeah, but it, when when it's when it's when you're you hear that from a bunch of people who aren't on Twitter that much, okay. it becomes <laughs> sort of a 
a way of a way of sort of saying, yeah, he's just that guy always on Twitter, where Twitter is this black box, and it's just like you know, it's sort of like, uh, well, he's always playing Candy Crush, or he's just you know, glued to Instagram. Like it has that sort of dismissive sweep to it, and a lot of the time, I've actually spent. I'll be honest, I've spent part of the Christmas break um, calling some of my Twitter followers um, just because I'm trying to cut down on that level of noise in my life. I don't want to cut out Twitter entirely. And as I go through the list, I'm amazed how many people whose uh, Twitter voices and content I value in uh, in my day, in my, uh, in my little moments of distraction. Uh, but I am trying to cut down on that noise. Yeah, aren't we all? Uh, you, you are well known for your, for your, uh, your Twitter presence. You're, um, you're, you're a journalist in real life and you're a journalist on Twitter. You tweet about the news, you tweet about stories. Uh, but I think what most people know you for on Twitter is being funny. Uh, and that's not entirely separate from your role as a journalist. You often make like jokes about the news and jokes about stories, but you, it's really interesting to me that you've managed to create this funny Twitter persona, making jokes about the news without like alienating anybody, maybe not nobody, but very few people like you're, you're very affable and yet still very funny. And that seems like a very fine line to walk. I really tried over the, over my Twitter life, especially because I started it as a reporter, not as an opinion writer columnist, which I sort of am at McLean's, um, but as a city hall reporter for the Calgary Herald, um, I really got into my head that I should be an equal opportunity shit disturber make fun of everybody and try to spread the spread the mockery and and poke and snark around um because lord knows that both left and right uh deserve their amount of of ribbing a lot and I try not to make it petty or you know participate in too much piling on um, I kind of make an exception for uh, for mockery of Trump because that's just so richly deserved and really important to denormalize that fellow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's the really strange thing about my Twitter quote unquote persona doing bunny ears for those in Radioland is how I developed it through that photo I have as my avatar. Um, <laughs> what it is is a picture of me actually from like six or seven years ago now. And I'm sort of like a jauntily adjusting my tie. That photo taken by a uh, former Herald report uh, photographer, Grant Black, who's a lovely human being, uh, was for a very short-lived column I did when in, I forget if it was 2011 or 2012, Will and Kate came to visit Calgary. <laughs> and... I kind of wanted to cover it and experience it, but in a different way. I wanted to find some different angle. So I pitched the idea that I would, instead of writing about the royals themselves, I would write about the all the uh, British royalty and tabloid reporters who had come to visit this. And uh, my title was The Royal Watcher Watcher. And so I wanted to have a very poncy, jaunty uh, image uh, for that column mugshot. And I turned that into my Twitter uh, picture, and it's I've sort of written to that character almost like a bit like I think it's a little bit poncier and a little bit uh, snarkier and and uh, and pokier than I am in person, or maybe I've become that persona. I think the two have sort of bled into each other, and so they are so we are indistinguishable. <laughs> Where does the character end? It's hard to tell. Um, no, but I like knowing you in person. Uh, you're you're funny in person. You're you've, you've got a quirky sense of humor, but you're also like very quick with your wit, and I think that serves you very well on Twitter. Um, I dabbled in improv as a as a youth. Right. Uh, the other the other reason I'm such a big Twitter user and I love making those jokes on Twitter is because for most of my journalism career, I've worked in bureaus, kind of on my own, mm-hmm. or at least as the only journalist around. I was at City Hall. Um, for the Herald now was in an office mostly by myself. People uh, people might not realize this, but the, the City Hall reporter from the Herald uh, has a, a bureau that they work in there. They don't work out of the actual Herald newsroom. 
That's, no, that's still true. They get uh, many, uh, many, 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 many government institutions. Many government institutions, uh, the legislature yeah. in Alberta, uh, Parliament, a lot of city halls have offices for reporters. It's actually a wonderful um, measure of accountability. Even uh, the Calgary Courthouse, there are reporters who work out of there as well. Um, so I had an office there. Uh, right now, I'm the only uh, McLean's correspondent in in Calgary or in the West uh, at present. Uh, I work around uh, people who don't work in media. It, uh, building at the Rogers uh, Rogers offices, so I've always used Twitter as sort of that water cooler. That like rather than stand up and talk to somebody over the cubicle wall, make mm-hmm. a one liner or remark on something I've been talking about, or participate in a conversation there. Um, Twitter is my uh, is my workspace in that in that sense. Um, you are not from Calgary. You are from Hamilton, correct? Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, I want to talk about how you became a journalist. Um, what was it that attracted you um, to journalism in the first place? I really fell hard into writing in high school and drama. Um, I sort of felt that that was my way of coming out of my shy little shell, um, being expressive. Um, I was I I liked writing teenage poetry very angsty stuff and little short stories and stuff like that. I really loved English was my favorite subject by far. I realized you can't really be a novelist or poet full time, or at least I thought that, you know, the odds are very, you know, very high to making a decent living um, at that. Uh, a, a story which I paid for later on by telling it to a bunch of, in the presence of a bunch of fiction writers and poets and stuff that I know in Calgary. Um, but I thought, well, journalism is a great way to write professionally and write what you not only want to, but write in the way you, you would like to sort of and, uh, and make a living. And so I registered in uh, journalism school at Carleton, got in, and from there, I really found how well that blended with my love for music and politics and the world around me. Mm-hmm. And this was a way to write about the world around me and politics. I mean, my first, my first ambition was to write about music full time. And I was doing a bit of that uh, for some websites and for the school paper. And so but that, that was what you envisioned your career trajectory going for, like uh, becoming a music journalist? Yeah. Yeah, and then I kind of ran out of ways to describe guitar riffs in like by third year or so. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, politics and uh, news is more dynamic, so uh, maybe I'll take uh, take that road. Uh, how did you end up in Edmonton? I misspelled a word on my cover letter to the Globe and Mail and Toronto Star. Really? That's how I end up in Edmonton, in my kind of mind. I mean, maybe they wouldn't <laughs> have wanted me on merits. Anyway. Maybe they didn't um, even read the cover letter. But I, I'll never forget this. I, uh, I had that red, red squiggly line um, underlining a word in my f- cover letter. And I thought, well, it's just once advertised with an S, not a Z. That's not the Canadian way or whichever way it is. Um, wondering why uh, journalist students were getting callbacks and I wasn't from, uh, from the big papers in Toronto. I went, looked back at my uh, cover letter and I had spelled the word advertised in the first <laughs> sentence of my cover letter. <laughs> Uh, that was maybe the best, most 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 uh, fortuitous typo I made in my life. Um, was that expected? Yeah. Was that a security guy? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's annoying. Where were? Where should we? That's, that's fine. I think I finished that sentence. You did. Um, and the well, uh, the Evan the Evan Journal was one of the many uh, papers I had applied to. And it was the one that said yes to me. I had never been to Alberta other than a week of March break in grade 11. I'd never been out west. I went to Vancouver to visit a cousin. Um, I thought, sure, I'll uh, come here for four months, then go back to the center of the universe. And then I got into the... I really really enjoyed working at the journal is a great newsroom. Uh, what year did you get there? I got there in 2003. The week after I started, uh, they found a mad cow right. in Northern Alberta. And I was doing some dinky story on traffic fines. And I watched around the whole newsroom it was in a total tail 
not tailspin, but was going nuts. Yeah. And there were people running up to northern Alberta to find this uh, the farm, going out to Saskatchewan to find the birthplace of this this cow, and people running around talking about the political and scientific and economic dimensions of this story. And I just was typing this other story and looking around thinking, this is going to be a huge story that's going to affect Alberta prominent, like powerfully for a long time. So the next day I started pitching on it because I realized then and there that if I can get onto this beat and become an important part of uh, the mad cow team, I can, you know, my, they'll see value in me and I'll uh, hopefully get to stay here. Uh, that fall or that winter, I became the top writer on the mad cow story. And, uh, which was, you know, a natural fit for a then vegetarian uh, suburban Ontario kid. <laughs> yeah. The story I was born to write. <laughs> um, how long were you in Edmonton? I was in Edmonton for five years at the Journal. I uh, was an intern then. Uh, I covered the 2004 uh, provincial election. I was on the legislature beat. And then they had me for a year writing editorials, which was a really, really awesome job. It made me think about how to write persuasively, even about things I didn't necessarily agree with myself. You know, the editorial board would collectively come to a decision and assign one of the team members, it was a three-person team, to write that. And you would have to persuasively argue um, a, uh, a, a, a for a point on an issue, even though you might have thought the opposite. But you couldn't, ha you know, half-ass it. I mean, it was sort of, I guess, sort of like debate club, debate which club, I know was never yeah. part of. Um, but it was a great way to argue and try to really seriously see both sides of a store of an issue, uh, which I, every journalist should take to heart. Um, you know, I think one of the best advices I give to younger journalists is, uh, don't just ask why the fuck is that going on? Answer that question, understand why, why the fuck that's going on. And that's sort of what this, what editorial writing did. Then I went back to the, uh, legislature bureau, for a couple of years, covered another election, uh, the end of Ralph Klein, the rise of Ed Stelmack, and then that was uh, my life at the Edmund Journal up till 2008. What was it like coming, not just fresh out of journalism school, but uh, fresh out of Hamilton, uh, across the country to Edmonton, a very different place, very different part of the country, uh, and working at the daily newspaper there? That gives you, I guess you're, you're forced to sort of understand the the this new place that you're in this new city um how did you what were your what were your thoughts on edmonton when you got there and how did they evolve during your five years there i well the one one funny remember memory of early time in uh, edmonton first of all it was i got there in may a week before i was starting and it snowed the first whole first week in may and that was not a very good first impression uh i remember calling somebody uh, for, after my first visit to the mall saying I just saw somebody get married on a pirate ship next to the dolphin tank in the mall in Edmonton, in Alberta. <laughs> gradually, I got, I, you know, I was living off White Avenue, which is, you know, was the place to, uh, the only place to be back then. It, it was before uh, sort of the north of the river uh, neighborhoods were developing and the, north, the streets were, were interesting. I met a lot of great people. It's a wonderful, I find the, the Alberta cities, because there are so much flux, um, everybody's new and everybody's welcoming because mm -hmm. uh, everybody's been in that place where they were the new person. Um, and I'll never forget the uh, stillness in the newsroom when uh, I was chatting with somebody and they all overheard me referring to Albertans as we. <laughs> <laughs> in first person plural. And they were like, wait, you, you, you're calling Albert, you're including yourself in Albertans now? Okay. Um, but no, I, I, I'll, Edmonton was a wonderful, uh, wonderful city. I met some incredible friends. I, so it's a fantastic uh, city. And, you know, moreover, from a journalistic perspective, there is no better way to visit, a, experience a town than with a notepad in front of you. Yeah. Um, the curiosity. You'll ask questions that people who are locally just take for granted. Because in order to report even a small story, you need to understand the context of that story. And then you have to start pulling on threads. Yeah. I mean, you need to, I mean, it helps to know the context, but it also helps to have a fresh perspective on it. So yeah. you, again, you're like, well, what, what's that? And everybody's like, well, it's just a thing we have, but that that's, do you know that that's the only thing like that in Albert in Canada? And it, you know, every other, every other 
country has, every other province has moved away from that. So those are the kind of pull, threads you pull on um, as a newcomer uh, getting curiosity. I mean, it took me a long, you know, thankfully I had a lot of veterans um, there at the Edmonton Journal who had uh, known, you know, who had the issue basis, um, former Michener winners. Um, I was uh, desk mates with uh, now Senator Paula Simons, who, who? Was, uh, Never heard of her. who was one of my, uh, I would say, definitely one of my top journalistic mentors. Um, and having that context was uh, tremendous. And now I find myself as, you know, 15 years in Alberta, an old timer having being one of those sources of institutional memory uh, now that I can, you know, think back five, six uh, premiers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what, uh, what brought you to Calgary? I was felt like I was spinning my wheels at the Edmonton Journal. I didn't feel like there was much time, place to grow. I wanted the change of pace and, uh, they were offering, uh, me a job. So I thought I'd, uh, I'd move down and, uh, I celebrated my 10 year Calgaversary. Wow. Uh, in August, I, uh, we, we, we had fun for, uh, I was thinking what I should do. And how do you, how do you celebrate that? I did a uh, tour of, uh, foods that Alberta or that Calgary invented. I went <laughs> to the, it was dorky. I, and it was actually, we were going to go on a, I was going to go with my wife on a picnic down to the, down to the river, but it was smoky as hell. Oh, right. So we went to the West Inn, which uh, in a former incarnation was the birthplace of the Caesar mm-hmm. and had a Caesar at the steakhouse there. And then went up to the Silver Inn on i think center street to have uh, the original ginger beef which i got a plug for the restaurant is way better than any other ginger beef in the city it's uh, so different and less greasy good to know um when you first came to calgary what were you what were you doing at the hair what was your role you were you didn't start with city hall right no i came as the in this beat that somebody else had done before me is the middle of the a big boom in Calgary. The two thousand mid two thousands, mid late two thousands was a huge time of you know the house values more than doubled uh, in a span of a few years. Um, vacancy rates were plummeting. Uh, jobs were going crazy. The oil price was was soaring past a hundred dollars a barrel for the first time, uh, and there were incredible growth pressures. They actually had a reporter on a beat covering growth issues, homelessness. Um, urban development issues like sprawl, daycare, immigration. And I was really excited about that uh, when I came. And one of the big things I wanted to get into was homelessness because they were launching that very ambitious 10-year plan to end homelessness, really shaking up uh, the sector. Then they actually gave the whole social issues part of that beat to another reporter. And I kind of looked at my shoes and kicked the dirt a bit. And... uh, focused on the urban development issue stuff. I sort of became a an at-large city hall writer. I wasn't covering the meetings, but I was writing the bigger, bigger stories. Um, the city hall reporters at the time did not like it when uh, on a Monday they were covering the daily stories and the boring meetings. And I would spend that day leaning back in my desk chair, looking at the papers from the last few days, circling a brief, and then spending a week fo- enlarging that brief. So I would do things like writing about, I did a whole bunch of big takes on secondary suites and rooming houses and uh, urban development plans the city was uh, was using, big fights between developers and, and city officials. And that was a really cool way to segue into City Hall. Um, when an opening came at City Hall, which I had used to think was a profoundly boring beat and sort of the uh, <laughs> exemplar of a beat I didn't want when I moved. Uh, but having covered it sort of an at-large big picture perspective, um, I was ready to adapt that into a more daily perspective. I, I, mean, I still did those big pieces uh, when I could to carve out time and, uh, and energy on them. Uh, but I think it gave me that good perspective. Look at, the, not, look, look at it not as a, as a beat about what's happening at City Hall, but what's happening in Calgary, what's happening in the city, and often what's not happening at City Hall. Mm-hmm. I've, heard, I've heard other uh, City Hall reporters that I know say that they entered that beat thinking it would be dull as hell and ended up loving it and being great at it. Um, but I'm wondering, you mentioned that you were, um, even before you went into journalism, you were interested in politics. Um, were you interested in like local politics and local issues, um, things like that, or, or did that stuff only come like once you started hanging out at City Hall? Uh, it was sort of, no, I, I would say bef- not when I was young. I don't think I didn't really have a sense for, for civic issues, what was happening in 
town or uh, in town or city politics. Uh, I mean, I'd covered a little bit uh, for assignments, but when I realized it when I moved to Calgary that oh, city hall isn't just about what those meetings are. It's about why Calgary took so long to get recycling and still won't have compost for several years. It's about why the bus system is so screwy, why the LRT isn't expanding or is expanding, how neighborhoods uh, blend into each other, why they work, why they don't work. I mean, I'm somebody who loves taking long walks, exploring different areas of a city that I've never been to. And uh, this that is the stuff of city building, the stuff that is framed by 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 civic affairs. Um, there are a number of stories I wrote on the city hall beat about things that I was just standing. I was standing at a bus stop once looking at these wayfinding signs that were way out of date. And I expanded that into a story. I once uh, biked by this uh, new condo development next to a downtown bottle depot, wondering, that seems like an interesting uh, conflict of cultures. And I turned out to explore that. I mean, there are not many... You know, on federal, the federal politics beat or provincial politics beat or like the energy beat, you're not passing by, literally passing by something and turning that into a story. And you can do that in the civic affairs beat. And that that's wonderful. Tell me how you cover City Hall. Irreverently. <laughs> uh, no, in, well, in some ways, that's that's it. I think if you can't, a lot of the debates and stuff in City Hall are theater. Um, and in a lot of like question periods and stuff is the same way. Um, so I think one can't take them too seriously all the time. Obviously there's a time and a place where you don't want to be, uh, be irreverent, where you want to give proper reverence. Um, but a lot of the time I would, you know, just call it for what it was, political theater and silliness and, you know, Nenshi being Nenshi and. Sean Kalakara being John Kalakara and Sean Chu being Sean Chu, that sort of stuff. Um, but I tried to cover City Hall, not just about what's happening at City Hall, but why it's happening, what it means. I, I knew that by the time, you know, I'd write a web story about what happened, what the vote was, what the decision was to, to, to defer a decision on secondary suites, which was, I think, a story I probably wrote 94,000 times. <laughs> um, the next day in the paper, People didn't want to read what happened because they already knew, or most people already knew it. They'd heard it on the, the radio news or they'd watched, they'd seen it on the website. I wanted to give them more. I mean, why are they going to buy a paper or click on a story from the Calgary Herald the next morning unless they are going to get something more than they had gotten from an earlier version of my story or from other people from the competition? I am still a very competitive uh, journalistic creature. Uh, so I would always try to advance the story, talk about what it means, broaden it out, find an aspect to zoom in on, find a theme in uh, what's happening, put it in broader context, um, which I guess is the journalistic basics, and I shouldn't be bragging about it, but sometimes I feel like it's not done enough in journalism. People are uh, yeah. content enough to just write about what happened or focus on what happened, not about the bigger picture, the, the what it means, the where it's going, why it's here. Um, and I also tried to cover, take time to cover things that weren't just happening in the City Hall agenda. Uh, the City Hall agenda, what, what takes up a, long, a lot of the debates at City Hall, what has the biggest drag down scrappy debates, is might not be what's actually mattering at City Hall. Right. Um, sometimes I would, like I remember there was one time a, a councillor made an offhanded remark at the start of a council meeting that, uh, you know, we've had to cancel that, uh, that RFP on LRVs. And I was like, and nobody else caught it, but I realized, wait, he just said they canceled the order for new train cars. And that means that Calgary's going to take a long, a much longer time to get bring four car uh, train train chains, um, LRT chains to platforms, even though they've been building these four car platforms. Mm -hmm. And so I turned that little throwaway comment that did not get any debate or any discussion at City Hall into a front page story. I'll do things like that. I would find... Um, find other issues that weren't getting covered at City Hall or circle back to issues that had been ignored and cover that. I did some investigation, not as much as I would like. I mean, I don't think any daily reporter does as much sophistication as they would like. Um, <laughs> but like these things, like the the thing about the, the LRVs, that's sort of just being knowledgeable and paying attention. 
And like, that's just the basic journalism groundwork, no matter what you're covering. But to me, it seems like, see, I've covered like a little bit of City Hall. I was never a City Hall beat reporter. But it seems like um, if you're going to work that beat, it's a, it's a strange beast. It's very complex. It moves very, well, it seems like it moves very fast uh, at times. Sometimes maybe it seems like it's moving slow. But uh, well, I guess what I'm wondering is like the logistics of covering something like that. How do you know what's important? What bases do you have covered? How do you know where to spend your time? What things to cover? What things to not cover? Um, how do you actually do the job? Sometimes it's trial and error. Sometimes it's thinking about what do people care, what do people actually care about, um, which is often not what the politicians and the councillors and the city, the city officials care about. Um, so it's part of that is thinking like a, thinking like a, a, a citizen, in a way. Um, how do they think? Weirdly. <laughs> Um, it's a bit corny, but I think that that's you stepping outside of the like, what is like, what does this actually mean to people? What is this actually going to change the way they commute, the way they uh, they sort their garbage? Um, is it what they pay in taxes and will will, will let those taxes actually mean it make a difference to people? Are we inflating the importance of a percentage point on a tax uh, on a tax bill as opposed to what that'll mean in services? Um, thinking about those terms. Um, it's so important to become an expert in anything you're writing as instantly as you can. Read the background papers, read the most authoritative things, uh, follow the executive summaries, skim, uh, learn the language. Uh, one of the best things I learned to do as a city hall journalist, when I was talking to not the counselors only, but also the uh, the officials, the senior staff, um, who are these experts who want to be talked to intelligently, who don't want just these superficial conversations, get into a conversation with them, use their lingo, and they'll they'll engage with you much more than they might if you're than they might just the regular journalist asking a couple of uh, you know kind of obvious questions. Mm-hmm. Um, expertise can matter so much and just and uh, when I was a, a cub reporter on the first Mad Cow story, I had a senior scientist on the phone from uh, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. And after an hour of uh, intense conversation with him, I extracted from him a piece of information about uh, the source of where the uh, bad feed came that infected two mad cows. And I created, I posited there was a, and I report, was able to report there was a potential link between the first mad cow they found in Northern Alberta and the second mad cow they found in Washington state. And I reported that, and uh, that was the first time I ever got a story of mine mentioned in the New York Times. And it was because I spent an hour drilling down with this uh, this expert um, on it and uh, showing that I knew a lot about what he was talking about, and I knew how to ask him questions. Do you have that Times story uh, framed and hung in your home? No, I don't think I ever found a, a print version of it and it was just like a, it just cited the Evan Journal in a, in a longer paragraph but that was exciting I'm very, that is exciting I'm disappointed that the New York Times never quoted one of your stories on secondary suites bless their souls <laughs> um, the Herald uh, news team won a national newspaper award for breaking news for the coverage of the 2013 flood uh, you were part of that um, tell me what, what it was like uh, in the newsroom covering a disaster like that that again, yeah, I told I was mentioning earlier in this uh, in this session about the all the mayhem and excitement around the Matt Cow crisis in uh, in El, in El, in the Emin Journal in 2003. Ten years later, um, it was that same excitement. The whole newsroom. I mean, that was the only story in the city. Um, we had business reporters, music reporters, food writers doing these incredible stories out of the scene, collecting news. Um, my role, my assigned role was as a anchor of the live blog, which was sort of the main vessel of uh, news coverage on our website. And I, I really took that on. I mean, I, I lived, <laughs> I almost lived there for, for, a, at, at the Calgary Herald newsroom for a while. Um, my first shift, I actually skipped the first day. It was the middle of Sled Island and I booked uh, that whole week off. <laughs> and so that first, the first day that, that, uh, that, that uh, that sewage started to hit the fan. I was uh, I was off, and I felt really bad. I was looking at my phone, and I and I kept on waiting for them to need me, and they didn't need me. And I said, "Well, okay, if they don't need me, I won't come in." 
and I felt so bad. People were like doing overnight shifts, which we don't normally do. We would never do at the Herald. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, you know, I'll, I'll come in on the Friday. And so they assigned me to this anchoring of the live blog. And, and I stayed, I got there at nine o'clock and I worked until 5 a.m. the next day straight. Slept for about an hour and a half on the, on the newsroom couch in the middle of the newsroom. And then worked another full day until they uh, gave me a ride home and basically were insistent that I leave. Otherwise, they were going to hogtie me and put me in the back of Zoe's car. Uh, One of the bit of context, I had uh, biked to the Herald that day from Bankview because there was no way to get... The train was closed. The transit system was closed. There was no other way to get there other than... And I didn't have a car. So the only way I could do was bike up the Center Street Bridge and across to the uh, Herald's perch on the Deerfoot. And they'd even closed the Center Street Bridge. So there was actually no way for me to get home <laughs> on my bike anyway. So I thought, may as well work here. And if I put in a crazy long shift on the Friday, on the Saturday, there's no way they'll make me work on the Sunday, which was my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so I pulled a 21-hour shift. I think that was the math. And then I did another eight hours. So 29 hours in uh, two days. And then throughout the rest of the... Uh, the coverage I still kept working not those crazy hours but uh pretty long hours trying to be I felt like sort of like a live news anchor if you've seen uh, broadcast news mm-hmm. I felt I was really like sh- like 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 toggling getting information from people bringing it to people summarizing um summarizing uh press conferences as I hear them I wasn't doing much on Twitter at the time I was basically all putting it on the live blog which I knew hundreds of thousands of people um, which is really high for the Calgary Herald. Hundreds of thousands of people were watching that on a daily basis, um, far far more than on on Twitter. Um, it was an important job. I've never felt such an importance to my job on a daily, regular basis. People were looking for information about their neighbors, about their relatives. Uh, they were out of town. Yeah, their own their own homes. Yeah, the uh, the you compared it to the the BSE crisis. Um, which is obviously like a breaking news story and it's a big deal and I can see how that would throw the newsroom into a frenzy, but it, like an ongoing disaster like this uh, feels must feel different uh, in the sense of like the stakes are higher in terms of like it, it, it's not clear how many homes have been lost, how much damage there is, how many people have died, um, especially in like the, those first hours. Uh, and, and you, it sounds like you recognize even at the time like the importance of this work as a public service for people um, reading your your work and, and trying to understand what was going on as it was happening, uh, I'm sure by this point, you know, by this point in your career, you've, you've been an experienced journalist uh, and done a lot of different stories, and no doubt you love the work. But did this like change your view of journalism or the importance of journalism or like just something to to feel um, the importance of it in that very visceral way? It changed one thing, I would say, and. It was something that I didn't, I'd been influenced on a bit before. Um, Jay Rosen, the New York University uh, journalism professor, uh, came by and gave a talk to the Calgary Herald. At the time, I think he was he had some informal or advisory role with Post Media, the company. Um, and he came by for a talk, and he made the point, and I agree with this largely but not fully, that as a journalist, as a newspaper, your competition isn't the other newspapers and the TV stations and the radio stations and the websites in town. Your competition is inattention, people who aren't paying attention. You're competing for people to care about what you're writing, about what's happening in the world, what's happening in their communities. And I internalize that in part as, you know, we shouldn't just you know, it's okay to build on other journalists in the community's work. And people are, because people are now much more platform agnostic. They don't know if they click on a story from Facebook or from Twitter or from wherever, they don't particularly know or care if they're getting their information from CBC or from the Edmonton Journal or from the Calgary Herald or Huffington Post or Al Jazeera. They care that they're getting the information, that it's factual. And so when I was doing that live blog, I didn't care. I didn't just pull in stuff from our own journalists. I promoted our journalists more vociferously, obviously, but I was happy to pull in information from from CBC, from HuffPo, from anywhere I could find information because all I cared about was 
giving information to people. Um, as a McLean's writer, you know, we're, I'm one person in a, in the West, I have to do some aggregation. So if I, if I bring stuff in and I attribute this quote or this interview to the Calgary Herald or the Globe or whomever, that's okay. I mean, the important thing is I get the best information possible to the people, um, no matter where it came from, as long as it's a reputable and credible source. And I did my, did what I could to make sure that that was trustworthy information I was passing on. Mm. Uh, okay, so you, uh, you're a city hall reporter in, in Calgary. You're, you're doing that job for like nine years or so? Something uh, like that? I did that job for seven, seven. I was seven years at the Herald and most that between six years on the city hall beat directly. Right. Okay. Uh, and then you make another change. Uh, in summer 2015, I moved from the Herald City Hall Bureau to McLean's Magazine as their Alberta correspondent. Uh, how and why? They were filling a, a void uh, created by the former correspondent, and they'd interviewed a bunch of us. And I was, I was really shocked that I was being considered for this. Um, it's a strange move to go from a daily newspaper reporter on a local beat at a regional paper to go to a national um, at large, not at large, but national correspondent at a magazine. I mean, there were a whole bunch of quantum leaps um, it involved going from newspaper to magazine writing, going from more straight reportage to analysis. But it was something you were interested in, like you applied for the job, right? Uh, I was approached. Oh. It wasn't something I never entertained before working at McLean's because I never just thought it was something that would be available to me. I yeah. was, I felt like the newspaper stream and the magazine stream were almost two separate worlds, more or less. Um, at least it, nothing I aspired to because I, I thought maybe I'd get a job at the Globe one day. I didn't think maybe I'd get a job at McLean's one day. That was, I kind of joked afterwards it was the dream job I never knew I wanted. Um, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, that's that's very flattering to be asked. It, it was, it, it, the whole thing is flattering that they took a chance on a, 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 a you know, a, a, a regional city hall reporter. Um, normally people, you know, will move from Nash to national beats if they're writing about provincial affairs or writing a bit bigger, broader issues. I mean, local writers coming up with local issues don't normally get noticed. Uh, this was actually a case where I think Twitter played that well because I was getting into conversations with reporters in a national national level talking and got people interested in abroad about Calgary. I was really highlighting really weird, interesting things that were happening in Calgary. It didn't hurt that Nenshi was a subject of a national curiosity as well. Um, but it was my engaging with uh, reporters from all over the country on Twitter and editors and columnists. Um, I became contacts with Paul Wells, uh, the McLean senior writer, uh, who was one of the people who uh, suggested to the McLean's editor, you should give this Microsoft guy a try. Hmm. Uh, tell me about how you make that transition from writing daily news stories for daily newspaper about City Hall to writing longer feature pieces for a national magazine. Uh, like how does how does that is there's like a switch in your brain? You have to like relearn how to walk in a way. Like I kind of did. I mean, yeah. it was I I had to really unplug from uh, daily news. Uh, I got it when I was working. I, I, they gave me a desk space at the building because McLean's is a Rogers magazine, Rogers own magazine. And I got a, not a desk in the city TV 660 building. And I decidedly didn't work anywhere near the, the 660 guys because I didn't want to be in a daily news site, a daily local news cycle. I was trying to extricate myself. And that's why I actually was on a floor with people who worked uh, in something related to the advertising department. Um, just to un just just to separate myself from uh, from the daily the daily grind, uh, and I had did have to rethink how I wrote. Um, I'll never forget uh, the second piece I handed in as a as a McLean's writer. My editor, who's now editor in chief, Allison Uncles, uh, told me, you know, this story is just a kind of a recitation of numbers and facts. This story needs more Jason. <laughs> and I sort of like, like, like flew back in my chair as I read that, thinking, wow, I've spent the last 10 years of my career taking out the Jason from my stories, like, uh, like avoiding writing overt opinion writing or getting too inferential with what I was writing, just sticking to the facts and what I could 
pause it objectively. Um, or, you know, not write with, I mean, write with some voice, but not too much voice to, to make it a, a, you know, not about the facts. Um, for a magazine, they want more voice, more personality, um, more analysis in a piece. So I, I felt like I was suddenly a, a kid in a candy shop. I get to do all these things I was sort of holding back. We, at the Herald... We didn't have a city hall columnist at the time I was there. We still not a city hall columnist, uh, to, which I think is a terrible mistake for the Herald. Um, and I had sort of had ambitions to become that that columnist. It never happened. So when I was at the Herald covering city hall, I sort of felt like I was eating for two. Like I wanted to offer some subtle analysis in my pieces that you know that would normally be in a column, say, but weren't crossing the line into overt opinion i mean we i was talking earlier about the line as sort of traips on twitter not trying to be equal opportunity disturber not not going into overt opinion what i think um i learned to skate the uh, line between reportage and analysis mm -hmm. into uh opinion writing at that time so that was a transition and just taking time to rub my temples um the time i would get at, to write big features was something I didn't know at the Herald. I mean, I, if I had three days to write a long piece at the Herald, a long piece being like 1,200 words, that was exciting. Here I was getting uh, longer periods, a, a week and sometimes two or more to write 2,400-word uh, features or longer. And I really got to think about my topic intimately, rub my temples, think about what themes are emerging. I thought less about what facts I was going to string together and more about what points I wanted to make and how to string those together. Um, it, it took a long time for me to feel comfortable. It took me at least a year to feel like I wasn't a complete imposter. <laughs> um, I'm curious also, uh, you said that like you were engaging with uh, other journalists and other people on Twitter and on a national level, um, but you're, you, as you changed from a Herald City Hall reporter to a McLean's Alberta correspondent, your audience changes too, not just the format. You're no longer explaining uh, something to Calgary, a local audience. You're explaining, in a sense, Alberta. I know you cover other Western places, but let's just say Alberta uh, to a national audience. Uh, how did that feel? Did you think of it in those terms, like that you had to explain this place to the country? Yeah. You know, in the, in the same way that when I would visit... You know, I would I would visit friends in Montreal or Ottawa or Toronto or back home in Hamilton. Uh, they would ask me, "Who's this Nenshi guy?" <laughs> I would have to step out of my normal local writing and think about putting that in context, and uh, that was an interesting challenge. Uh, but I haven't done. You know, I've been surprised the extent to which I'm actually still talking to Albertans about Alberta. I am still. You know, when I was writing a lot about the Olymp, I wrote a ton, more than I expected to, about the 2026 Olympic bid in Calgary. I was writing in Cal about Calgary to the country, but I was also writing about Calgary to Calgarians. I was another uh, uh, one of the, vo you know, there weren't enough voices in the city who were, you know, weren't necessarily just, you know, terror downers of the Olympic bid or boosters of the Olympic bid. I was sort of looking at both sides and there weren't enough analytical voices locally doing that so i felt like i still had a huge readership within calgary for what i was writing to the greater country hmm. so it's fair to say that your uh, your career in journalism didn't take the trajectory you uh, probably expected you wanted to be a music journalist and you ended up becoming a edmonton journal reporter and then calgary herald city hall reporter now you're a mclean's correspondent uh it's just a series of uh, unexpected events i suppose but i'm curious if you were a journalism student graduate now. If you were a 21, 22-year-old Jason Markusoff in the year 2019, what, what would you do? What do you think you would be attracted to in journalism? What do you, how do you think you would uh, forge your career? What choices would you make or not make? It's such a different world in journalism right now. Um, the opportunities for full-time employment at a newspaper barely exist. Um, newsrooms were much larger, um, even just 15 years ago, mm -hmm. um, astoundingly so, you know, the, there was no Twitter, you know, back, back in my day. I mean, I was actually thinking about it when I was writing in 2003 for the first time, we 
despair, we didn't think about the web. We wrote our stories for the next day's paper. Uh, in 2004, they assigned me a, a blog about the election, the federal election because blogs were cool and new back then. Right. And that was what everybody was doing. Sort of like podcast now, I guess. I guess, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, I don't... I, that's a really hard alternative reality question. Now, I'd probably be a freelancer, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, I guess what I mean is like uh, you you applied for the internship. You applied for multiple internships, but you got the one at the Edmonton Journal. Um, not because you specifically necessarily wanted to come work in Edmonton or cover any specific thing, but you wanted to work at a newspaper. That was something that that appealed to young Jason Marcus, soft fresh out of J school. So I guess what I'm asking is, would you still feel that desire to do that today? Or would you say like, nah, it's not worth it. There's better things that I can do for my career than trying to get with a newspaper that may or may not have a job for me in a couple of years. No, daily dirt. I don't, I don't know. That's a hard question to, to really answer. I don't know how to give you an answer on that. Like it was the path, the path for me. I wanted to be in newspapers. And if it wasn't for McLean coming to knock, I would still probably be in newspapers. I might still be at the Herald. I don't, you know, I don't know where that, you know, where, where, where alternative reality Jason is if the McLean's didn't come knocking or if, uh, if the Jason of 2003 was plunked into 2018. Um, obviously there are fewer opportunities in newspapers, um, but people still break into it and get established. That's not impossible. I was a pretty competitive opportunistic, uh, journalism student. I studied business journalism as a focus instead of politics because I thought this was another, uh, big section of journalism I didn't know much about, and it's it could be considered an asset if I did know a lot about business writing. I can I was willing to apply out west. A lot of Carlton students are from the east and would never imagine traveling west of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And so I was not all of them were applying for newspapers out west. Um, I was opportunistic. I was going to take the opportunity where I could. You know, there haven't been many times where I've uh, really stood on principle and refused to do something in my job. But but more than zero? I, I can, you know, I honestly can't think of something. I, I mean, I would fight on things. I would have this joke that, you know, some reporters, like I, like most reporters, would uh, would yell at their editors and call them, tell them to fuck off, except I would do it before I hung up the phone. <laughs> uh, so I, I'd give and take. But I learned that, you know, I learned that if, I, if I'm going to say fuck off to a story assignment I don't like, I'd better have a better idea to come up with. So I always tried to have a whole bunch of ideas um, in my back pocket to say, well, I could do that story on an issue we've played to death, or I can do this other really awesome story I've been saving for a rainy day where you ask me a stupid assignment. You're covering Alberta in the West at a time in which like Calgary just seems to be have, have things of national importance sometimes. The Olympics is a, is a good example. But even secondary suites, which you covered for many years as a long-suffering City Hall reporter, uh, reporting endlessly on this endless issue, uh, you wrote about from McLean's. Is it just that you are passionate about those issues? I mean, the Olympics is obviously a national story, but secondary suites isn't an obvious national story. No, it was, that was a time when I thought it was worth shining a national spotlight. I mean, what I wanted to do was actually publicly shame, nationally shame Alberta <laughs> and uh, Calgary about this, how they couldn't get their act together on secondary suites and the cruelty involved in that. Um, so I deliberately had uh, urged, recommended the headline for that, uh, that piece uh, in McLean's that secondary suites are Calgary's national shame. <laughs> it just struck me as funny that, like, you know, they gave you a national spotlight to shine on things, and uh, you chose to shine it on things that were you were passionate about in a previous life as a journalist. My, my editors and readers have have an interest in what's going on in Alberta. Yeah, um, people are people coast to coast are fascinated with this whole pipeline oil situation. Heard of um, it. They're, they're they were curious about Nahid Nenshi. Um, they're intrigued by what Jason Kenney's doing in Alberta. They're abundantly curious about how Alberta elected an NDP government. Um, the secondary suites, I mean, my editors, you know, want to know if I can tell a story compellingly, if you can tell a really interesting story about, about local issues in Gibbons, Alberta, that will work. And I did that. 
I wrote a piece about, uh, uh, spun a yarn about how this, the mayor of Gibbons, Alberta, had uh, been so cantankerous uh, and got even got into a bar tussle in his town that they stripped him of his powers like Rob Ford. And I wrote about this trend of a few city, small town mayors in Alberta who were getting a Rob Forded and having, losing all their powers. And I, I wrote about that for a national magazine. And it was hilarious to cover a tiny council in Gibbons, Alberta <laughs> for, for McLean's. And I think the locals were pretty bewildered about it too. Um, some of your reporting from McLean's uh, has gotten a lot of attention. You've done some high profile stuff. Um, your piece about the new Underground Railroad, about migrants from the U.S. coming into Canada, uh, got quite a lot of attention, um, as did your reporting on the shooting in the Lache. Um, I'm curious what... You've been there how long now? Two years? Three, Three years. Wow. Congratulations. Are there any things that you're most proud of in this new era where you didn't think you would ever be, where you didn't think you belonged, or you had to relearn how to walk? Is there anything that you've done that you're particularly proud of? I'm, I'm proud of the, uh, the, that, that, that piece, the New Underground Railroad, uh, which was the first big piece in, in the country to uh, examine the, uh, the issue of uh, border hopping or border crossing asylum seekers. Um, I'm really proud of that because it, I, I, I felt I've never done a better job writing a piece. Yeah, I uh, it was, was it able was really to, well done. thank you. I was able to meet, speak to a, a more than a dozen um, people who had come, walked into Manitoba from, from North Dakota or Minnesota. Um, you know, often through snow, uh, I spoke to people who lost their fingers through frostbite, um, met somebody at his hospital bed uh, shortly after his amputation um, because of frostbite. Uh, I spoke to people who I went to that town of Emerson and was the first person to really examine um, the dynamics in that town of people helping, people being wary. It was a story I felt incredible importance to tell that this is a very, that this is a trend. It should be alarming and remarkable to people in Canada. And we need to have a serious talk about what this means, what it is, what it means for our, our immigration, what it means for our country's relations with the states. I felt an incredible importance for this story to come out, uh, to be told and to be understood. And the fact that from, you know, that, that story and some other people uh, doing solid journalism on this, like Reuters, like CBC, um, this did become an international story um, on the heels of, uh, of my piece. And that was, that was wonderful to see. And obviously this has become a major animating issue ever since. Um, and it's really unfortunate that it's become such a, you know, a political hot potato in ways that are very distortive. Um, the whole debate about illegal versus legal migration, um, what, what to call, uh, the migrants, um, even the issue about there's still a misbelief out there that this is all because of Donald Trump. It's not. This has. This was on the rise before Trump was in office. Even. I mean, that's the chronicling I was doing is mostly about the pre-Trump uh, immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other dynamics at play in between Canada and the U.S. in the world, um, and uh, I think this is still, unfortunately, a misunder- a very misunderstood uh, issue, and it's one I've been been able to return to and encouraged to return to. A number of times I've written, I think, four or five uh, long features about um, the asylum seekers since uh, that first one. So I'm curious, uh, as someone who has worked in both newspapers and magazines uh, and has been a journalist here for quite a long time now, what do you think uh, needs to change in journalism? What do you think are the prospects for journalism? is? And I'm not talking about like business models and government bailouts and Kickstarters. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Uh, I mean, like in terms of how journalists approach journalism, do you think there's anything that needs to change in the way we report, the way we think about ourselves as journalists and our role in society? Or do you think that just the old um, principles and traditions are enough to get us through as long as we can figure out a way to pay for it? 
I mean, I think the economics of it are the biggest issue. I mean, journalism isn't dying because people aren't are tuning out or because there are too many voices or too many sources now or because of the Internet. It's because, you know, the day was when when you wanted to get your message out about something and you were a company, you had a few choices. You had newspapers, TV, radio, magazines, billboards, flyers, and that was it. Now you have the you know, classifieds go on Kijiji or Craigslist and there are ads between the rounds of Scrabble you play on your phone and YouTube videos and the the model has completely fallen out for journalists. Um, the value people see in paying for journalism is, is going to be what saves us. I mean, this government uh, bailout thing is completely fraud and I wish it didn't. I wish it didn't exist. Um, it exists. We'll have to figure out how to cope with it, I guess. Journalists used to not have any idea about revenue. Like I, when I started in this business, I didn't think much about revenue. I mean, I remember people were shaking their fists when they started seeing ads on the bottom of the front page. And then when they saw, you know, ads in the top banner of the front page, and then when the, the whole front page was taken over by an ad, um, but I got to the point when I was at the Herald and I would see that and I would think, oh, great, this is revenue for my newspaper. Journalists are acutely aware of that now. And uh, I think readers are acutely aware of the importance of subscribing and spending, investing, crowdfunding. And that is the most sure way to uh, to keep journalism sustainable in the future. I, I, I agree. And I, I certainly don't deny that there's an economics problem and we need to figure that out. I guess what I'm asking is more about uh, how we practice journalism, you know, um, Calgary, uh, 30% of Calgarians are not white, but media in Calgary is still extremely white. Um, in terms of who gets paid to tell what stories and how they tell stories, um, this feels like it, it, it's a different era in some ways, and it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to be reflected in the media. And I hear that from a lot of people. And I'm wondering if you, what what path forward you think journalists need to keep in mind? Well, I mean, it really depends on what you're, if you're an employer. Um, employers are, you know, that's becoming, an, people are increasingly aware, hopefully, um, as managers about that need, about the fact that we're an incredibly diverse uh, city that isn't being reflected by an all-white uh, newsroom, say. Um, but newsrooms are also facing incredible pressures in other areas, too. I mean, they... You know, rehiring, uh, filling vacancies if you can, is a, is a luxury. Filling them at a, you know, at a at a financial level that you can provide a good living for a reporter is an increasing, increasingly scarce opportunity. Um, there's so many other things they're thinking about um, that sometimes I fear that uh, that issues of diversity get uh, get forgotten. But there are some employers uh who are have those higher in mind um more progressive minded uh employers uh jeremy clauses is doing a great job at the sprawl um being mindful of that uh, cbc traditionally is not always um you know more opportunities for startups and independents uh will offer that um you know building capacity in uh, in new communities uh but it, it's it's a challenge atop of another of so many other challenges. And the biggest one is, I think to me still, um, the economics, uh, the continued ability to do it at, uh, not only a level that we used to do in the past, I think that ship has sailed, but at a level that actually is effectively serves one's public. How do you feel about journalism in Calgary going forward in Alberta in general? Um, it's difficult for new voices to emerge when there are so few, there's so little money um, to go around, so few opportunities, when the opportunities are shrinking, um, new voices are tougher to seek out for managers. And that's really unfortunate. Um, the startups, podcasting, sprawl, you know, the role that CBC plays are still very important. And they're, they're people who are thinking about diverse voices and um, opportunities for new voices uh, first and foremost and that's increasingly important and wonderful um, I don't know what else to say <laughs> that, uh, that that sounds like optimism is that optimism 
I, I, I find myself really resistant to getting pessimistic about things. Things might get worse. They, you know, that this, this, this government uh, injection of funding may may let people tread water a bit. You know, I've I've seen the uh, I've seen the the slide downward of uh, of the post media papers, and I'm not sure anything changes that. That's really unfortunate to see to see the papers I worked for, the Herald and the Journal, shrink so much and stagnate. But there's some people they're still doing great work and I don't I don't give up on them or anything you know I I, I find stories where I can find them I mean, in as a reader not just as a writer but I, I you know Avenue Calgary does great work still the sprawl CBC private broadcasters there's still interesting stories to be told and um, I actually feel we've talked about this at McLean's at the national the nationals actually have a role in telling those stories to Albertans that uh, that maybe the locals aren't doing a as good a job as they were able to once. Um, so very much I'm writing about the Alberta election coming up for Alberta readers. I'm writing about pipeline issues. I want to be that I know about Alberta and I can talk about it up to Canada, but I also want to make sure I can talk about it to, to Albertans and uh, give them that step back perspective that maybe the locals aren't providing. I'm going to call that an optimistic note about the future of journalism, and I think that's a good note to end on. So thanks very much for doing this. Pleasure. That's it for the show. Big thanks to Jason Markusoff. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to him. You can find Jason's work in McLean's online or in the magazine, uh, and you can find him on Twitter at Markusoff. The Calgarian is hosted and produced by me, Taylor Lambert. Theme music is Dandelion by Ghostkeeper. If you like this show, please feed and water it by telling your friends, by leaving a review in your podcast app, and by contributing a buck or two a month on Patreon. Visit thecalgarian.ca and find me on Twitter at TS underscore Lambert. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>